and reading, at their very best, are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. Forward Radio, where many of you hear the perks of being a book lover, is having a fourth birthday celebration pledge drive, which runs from March 27th through April 9th. Help keep community radio and a wide variety of viewpoints on the air. Go to forwardradio.org and make your donation there. Remember in high school or college when you were required to take a certain number of humanities classes? Maybe you groaned or rolled your eyes, but maybe too it was the spark that lit an interest in subjects that helped you think critically and creatively. It was in a high school humanities class that Carrie was introduced to and fell in love with E.M. Forrester's novel, A Room with a View. For me, an introduction to art history in college opened a whole new world and made me want to travel and see the cultures portrayed in the artwork I learned about. The exposure to subjects like literature, history, philosophy, culture, and religion help us understand the world we live in. In our state, the organization that promotes the humanities is Kentucky Humanities, a nonprofit that is an affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities in Washington, D.C. It offers lots of cool programs, many of which are focused on books and bringing discussions about them to the Kentucky public at large. This nonprofit serves as the state cheerleader of Kentucky writers' literary endeavors, and one way it does this is through the Kentucky Book Festival, which takes place every November. However, there are book festival programs that happen all year long, including book bundle subscriptions, the Kentucky Reads program, and the School Days initiative that brings children's book authors into schools to dazzle young readers and put books they can keep into their hands. All of these programs highlight Kentucky authors and put a spotlight on the rich literary talent we have within our border. This week, we talk with Sarah Woods, the Kentucky Book Festival director. She brought her experience working with the Western Kentucky University-sponsored Southern Kentucky Book Festival to her new position and from there brainstormed some fresh ideas about how to bring books to people, even when, especially during COVID, people can't come to the books. Sarah tells us how her love for her American Girl doll as a child sparked her excitement for reading how she's using the talents of a tattoo artist to highlight one of the books in the Book Bundle subscription service, and where you can get ice cream and beer on a bike trail to vastly increase the fun factor. Our guest this week is Sarah Woods, who is the Kentucky Humanities Director of the Kentucky Book Festival. Amy and I always love a book festival. So Sarah's going to tell us all about the book festival and about Kentucky Humanities in general. So Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So directing a book festival sounds like a dream job to me. So I'm very excited to talk to you about all the different programs that you do there at Kentucky Humanities. But first, tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about your background and your history. So I went to undergrad for creative writing. I was focusing in uh, in nonfiction. And towards the end of my college experience, I started loving college because my gen eds were over with and I was actually 
reading things I wanted to read. And I said, okay, how do I keep doing this? So I applied for grad school. I was studying literature at first, and then I switched over to rhetoric and composition and got further into essays. And it was really, really fun. Again, a lot of reading what I wanted to read and discovering new books. And I got into the book festival world from a contact that I met while I was in graduate school. David Bell teaches fiction at WKU and his wife, Molly, and I became friends. And she had a friend who ran the Southern Kentucky Book Festival. And Molly messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, in case you were looking for a job, there's a book festival position open at WKU Libraries. And I was like, first of all, that can't be real. And second of all, (laughs) where do I apply? (laughs) And um, I applied for the job and was able to rattle off a list of half a dozen books or so that I was reading at the time during my interview. And that's what my former boss said clinched it for her. Walking into the library and saying, oh, it smells like old books. I love it. And they were like, okay, you're perfectly weird enough for this job. And then here I am. I've been in book festivals. I guess it was 2015. So you mentioned some of the reading when you finally were able to do reading that you wanted to do. So tell us a little bit about your reading life as a kid. And then, you know, as you've matured and become an adult, have you always loved reading from the time you were little? And what have your most loved books look like? I did read when I was a kid. I was really into American Girl dolls. Felicity was my doll. So I saved up all my allowance money and I would buy the outfits. But the dolls were so expensive. It's like, I don't want to play with this doll. I don't want to mess her up, right? So it's basically display. And my mom would go to thrift stores and buy like old doll furniture and refurbish it for Felicity because the stuff in the magazine was way too expensive. But Felicity, I was interested in those dolls, especially because they had book sets that corresponded. The character came to life in, in the books. And Felicity loved horses. And I went through the horse phase that I think most girls go through. I'm not from Kentucky. I've, I've been here since I was five. But it, we watched National Velvet and Black Beauty. And so I was like, oh, I want a horse. And I thought my dad would get me a horse and put it in the backyard. And he never did. Yeah. You know, four daughters. Like, come on. We would have shared. Yeah. But... <laughs> I read about Felicity and she had a horse and she took care of it. And so I kind of lived vicariously through her. But when I was younger, up through probably middle school, I would only read books that had illustrations in them. (laughs) So the Felicity books had these beautiful illustrations. I read the illustrated classics, probably almost all of those books. And so I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I'm so great. I I read Moby Dick. I read Great Expectations. And then, you know, I find out much later, oh, those are the abridged versions. So I still haven't read Moby Dick, turns out, which is a real bummer. Maybe I got the better end of the deal, really, with the abridged version. I I have read Moby Dick, and I would say consider yourself lucky. High school, I think I really only read what was assigned to me in class you know, what, whatever they assigned to me, because I was a goody two shoes. And so I always read all the books. And my friends are over there like, why have you never heard of Cliff's Notes? Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, the things they carried is a book that was real memorable for me in high school, because it, it read like truth, but it was fiction. 
And so I thought it was interesting that the author was able to bring in real experiences and really make you feel something because it was much more modern. Wuthering Heights didn't really grab me as much as um, Tim O'Brien did. And then in graduate school, my mentor loved essays. And so the father of the essay, you know, spoiled Montaigne in his castle, writing about the world's problems from afar. So we read a lot of stuff about rhetoric and writing. And then I'd read a decent amount of new fiction. Once I got into the book festival world, I was like, I'm going to read every book that's submitted to the book festival. That didn't happen because who has time for that? I wish, you know. Now, I wish that I had kept reading lists through my whole life because I think it's fun to look back on what you've been reading. I do that now, and I'm trying to beat my record last year. I think it was like 29 books, trying to finish the 30th book before midnight, (laughs) and I just fell asleep. So didn't quite do that. But this year, I'm trying to read at least a couple of books a month. (laughs) So our show is focused on books, which is part of what Kentucky Humanity does, although it does a lot of other things too. So can you explain to our listeners what Kentucky Humanities is and what its mission is? So Kentucky Humanities is an independent nonprofit affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities located in Washington, D.C., So we're supported by NEH and private contributions. And we're not a state agency. We partner with anyone in Kentucky, basically, who wants to to learn more about the humanities and run programs, including the arts, tourism, and heritage cabinet. There are 56 humanities agencies in the U.S., and all of them have different programs, and then there are some overlap. Many of them have like a one-book, one-read program. Some of them run book festivals, and many of them are the state affiliate for the Library of Congress Center for the Book, and and Kentucky is. And that means different things for different agencies, but the Center for the Book is supposed to encourage people to use the Library of Congress's resources, and they have many, many resources on their website as well as at the Library of Congress. So when we talk about humanities, it's, you know, history, literature, philosophy, anthropology, sociology, psychology, and then there are arts councils as well. So there's a bit of overlap, of course, between the arts and the humanities, but there are separate arts councils that do more exhibitions and things like that. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> So I follow Kentucky Humanities on Facebook, and it seems like a lot of the programs you have are either book-based or they're history-based. So you have a lot of history speakers, too. Would you say that those are the two main divisions within the Kentucky Humanities? A lot of history and and literacy focus, of course, and with that, you can tie in all those other themes and elements as well. I run the Kentucky Book Festival which typically for 34 or five years, maybe a little longer, the book festival was in Frankfurt and it was the Kentucky Book Fair. So it was a one, one or two day experience run by volunteers, which, uh, you know, we're still in touch with many of those volunteers. They're wonderful people. And the book festival was expanded from a fair to a festival 
in 2018. Semantically, really, you know, fair festival, same thing. But for us, it meant kind of a longer week long slate of events. And so we did our first virtual event in 2020. So what goes into planning a week-long book festival? What does that look like in normal times that I'm putting in yeah. your books? Well, I guess the schedule kind of changes each year. We have a few events that we don't really want to let go of that typically draw a decent audience and are you know really fun to put on. The book festival itself, which I call it the festival, it's kind of like the end cap of the week's worth of events. That's where the 200 authors come in to one venue and sell their books. So much of the year is spent coordinating that effort alone, getting the author applications and vetting those and whittling down the list from 300 applications to 200 authors. And on Tuesday, typically we have a what we call the literary luncheon, which this year we're probably going to do a literary dinner with Chef Wita Michael, whom I love. She's wonderful. And then we've done a cocktails event on Thursday night. I think this year that might look a little different. We might change it. But we also partnered during that week with other entities to bring in speakers that might work for what they do, such as UK Healthcare. We worked with them in 2019 to bring in Abigail Pesta, who was actually writing about the sexual abuse and assault scandal with the United States Gymnastics. And Abigail's a journalist who interviewed a lot of the women who were affected by that, including Rachel Denhollander, who's from Louisville and has written books about it as well. So there's a lot of back and forth. And we do a spotlight breakfast with Commerce Lexington on Friday. And that's typically, you know, it's business oriented. So 2019, we did bourbon themed brunch. (laughs) which I I don't think we served any actual bourbon, but it was a bunch of authors (laughs) that write about bourbon. And then we have a reception on Friday night, and then we have the actual book festival. So it's enough to keep us busy. You talked about the application and the vetting. I guess it's not all Kentucky writers. It can be any writer from anywhere. What, What does that process look like? Right. Yeah, we have had and do typically get applications from all over the U.S. In 2019, we had authors from 22 states attending. I usually have at least a third, sometimes more, authors that are from Kentucky writing about Kentucky. It would be really easy for me to have a book festival tomorrow and only Kentucky authors are there. And it's amazing that we have so much talent in this state. It really is. But we have a lot of authors from Ohio, um, Cincinnati, Covington area that come down. And then some from Tennessee. The Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators has chapters in, I believe, Ohio and Nashville and Bowling Green. And I look for authors from there and invite them if, if they are interested. And I found some really great authors through that network. So some of it is authors like Kristen Tubb and Jessica Young who live in Nashville, but they write a book or two or three every year. And once we get a good rapport going and I know they have a new book, I can check in with them and say, hey, are you going to apply again this year? So that's part of it. In order that the same authors aren't there every year, we invite people to apply. And the ideal scenario is their book 
it's not been out for more than a year by the time it's displayed at the book festival. Now I'm making an exception in 2021 because so many people had applied in 2020 and then we had to do it all online. So the people that applied in 2020 that were going to be featured are, you know, of course, invited basically first dibs kind of scenario for 2021. So I've already heard from a lot of those folks. And then, of course, we invite some nationally known authors from outside of Kentucky. Scott Pelly came in 2019. And then you've got your Kentucky, uh, the, the bread and butter, the backbone of Kentucky literature, Wendell Berry. You know, if Mr. Berry will come, he's great. But as he's getting up there in age, I'm a little hesitant about 2021. You know, we'll see. Ed McClanahan, you know, Bobby Ann Mason, George L. Lyon. Frank X. Walker as well. He's always writing a new book. All these people that have been writing in and about Kentucky for a while. So we do like to celebrate the state. Do you anticipate that this year you will be able to have it in person? And when does the book festival usually take place? It's usually the second full week weekend of November. This year we are trying to move it up to the first weekend of November. So November 6th is the date we're looking at. And just to keep things interesting, we are trying to go in person. It'll be scaled back with all the proper measures in place as far as keeping things safe for people with concerns for COVID. And then I'll have to have a few virtual sessions as well for people. Well, one of the things that I have noticed is that you have a lot of affiliated book festival events that are going on earlier in the year. So recently I saw on your Facebook page that you have what you call book festival book bundles. And so I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So I had seen over the years, there are all these book subscriptions that you can sign up for. They're all very different. Some of them have to do with books and they pair it with tea. Some of them it's books and chocolate. Some of them it's books and wine. So I'm thinking, well, why not books in Kentucky, right? Because we have so many Kentucky authors and there are so many artists here as well. But I was thinking, how could I bring the book festival to your door? Because the world being what it is, I knew a lot of people had missed out on attending the book festival or they got Zoom fatigue, which we all know is real. (laughs) And so I thought... I love getting mail and I love sending mail. I don't do it enough, but it's like the best of both worlds. It's like adult Christmas, you know, like I'm sending you a gift. I wrapped all the book bundles by hand because <laughs> I'm very picky. Wow. And, um, and thought, how can I make this a special package? Not just something I'm throwing in an envelope. So I was able to work with artists and design all the specialty items like bookmarks and things that come with the book bundles are designed by artists in Kentucky. And so you can't find the products anywhere else so far. I wish we could have done more book bundles this year, but with such a small staff, we sold out faster than we planned. And then we will offer them again in 2022 with different books, probably on the same schedule and we'll, we'll make sure we get the word out on those early enough. But I got lucky this first time around because University Press of Kentucky had the Weed and Michael cookbook, which is illustrated by a tattoo artist who lives here in Lexington. 
And so I was able to get a hold of the tattoo artist. Her name's Brenna. And I said, do you want to design some stuff for me? And she's like, yes. And then Crystal Wilkinson, her new poetry book, which is her first full length poetry book, her husband, Ron, illustrated that. And so Ron is going to do the bookmark and postcard for Crystal's book bundle. What books are included in the book bundle for this year? And you get like once every few months or how how does that work? I was going to do one a month. And then my wise boss was like, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should on the first year, (laughs) maybe you should do it every other month and and see how it goes. Because there's only one me and it's me and an intern and then another part-time person that, that do the the book bundle stuff. And so I had, you know, an ambitious list of like 12 books, you know, I was like, how do I choose? And then Silas House, Clay's Quilt is celebrating its 20th anniversary on March 30th. And we did an event with Silas last year for the book festival. And he's always so gracious with his time and really supports Kentucky authors. And so I told him in November, we'd love to do something with you for Clay's Quilt. And his book came to mind when I was planning the book bundle project. And it was easy for me to come up with products for that because it's a book about family and tradition and and quilting and history. And so those book bundles actually included brochures from the Quilt Museum in Paducah because why not? And then I was trying to pick books that had come out within the last year, again, to kind of narrow my scope, either within the last year or would be coming out in 2021. And so Clay's Quilt is the only book that's currently available that you can go to the bookstore and buy right now. All the other books are new. So the schedule is Weta Michael's book, which comes out in at the end of April. She's our May book bundle. And then David Bell, his book comes out in July. So he's our July book bundle. And then Crystal's book actually comes out in August, but she's our September book bundle. So I could stagger out the way I ship them. And yeah, it's uh, it's all come together. It's been really fun and it's cool to be able to highlight and to pair an artist and an author together in that way. So, well, and I love the way that all the authors you've picked write completely different Mm things. Uh, Awita is a Mm -hmm. chef, a, a renowned chef here in Kentucky, so hers is a, a cookbook, I assume, or is it a memoir? So it's a cookbook, but she tells a lot of stories within the pages of the cookbook. With each section, she has an introductory page describing a story about how one or more of the recipes came about. And it very much celebrates Kentucky agriculture and, and getting your food locally, because she does that in all her restaurants as well. And then, of course, the art from Brenna Flannery is just so cool. I've never heard of a tattoo artist illustrating something. I'm sure that they do. I just have never heard of that. That's really cool. And then David Bell, he's a thriller writer. Yeah. And David. So that's completely different. I'm telling you, I got lucky with that one too, because David doesn't usually write books set in Kentucky that I know of, but this book is set in Kentucky and it's set at a university. It has to do with the Me Too movement. It has to do with telling the truth and finding the truth. It's very much a book about writing and the risks and the lengths people will go to become successful authors, no matter the cost. But there's a murder mystery and bourbons mentioned many times. So I went with a very bourbon centric theme 
for that book bundle. It'll have these coasters that have classic bourbon recipes on them. And then um, a postcard that has another bourbon recipe on it. So I read it pretty quickly. I don't usually read thrillers, but I got invested and wanted to know, you know, who the killer was. So I had to, had to read it. And then your final one, Crystal Wilkinson, she's part of the Afrolachian literature Mm -hmm. movement here in Kentucky and hers is poetry. So I love the way that you have lots of different kinds of writers included. And obviously it was popular because you, you sold out. So there must be a, a real market for this. Yeah, I hope so. Crystal's book, I've read uh, The Birds of Opulence, which I think we're going to talk about a little later. Crystal was actually my mentor in undergrad. And so she was the, the writer in residence at Moorhead State University while I was there. Just a wonderful, wonderful teacher. Very patient. Awesome feedback. For her to do a full-length poetry book, you know, it's really unique because she, she usually does novels or um, short stories. I was able to, to read the review copy that uh, University Press of Kentucky sent me, and it's short essays and poems. It's, a, it's about being Black and country and living in an area where maybe the rest of the world has stereotypes about Appalachians in general, but then Black Appalachians, Crystal felt like they're almost ignored or or people don't really know what it's like to be a black farmer living off the land and taking care of your family and being proud of what you do. And so there's a lot of love in that book for her grandparents, especially, and her mother. She talks about some mental illness and, you know, dealing with that family legacy. A lot pays homage to Kentucky, the landscape and growing food and cooking. And it just, it made me miss my grandma and want to learn how to quilt and feel like I just like there was so so much in that book. I read it in one sitting. I just couldn't pull myself away. So I think she's she's got a real heartbreaker with that book in the best way. Since we're talking about Krista Wilkinson, let's talk about the Kentucky Reads program that the K- Kentucky Humanities sponsors. So tell us a little bit what is the history and the goals of of that program. Sure. You've seen it in libraries, like One Book, One Community, The National Read, The Big Read. It's along the same lines where you're coming together and reading a book together. It doesn't have to be an organization necessarily that hosts the talks. It can be your book club. It can be a church group. It can be a nonprofit group at your office, whatever you want to do. And so it was a way to start these community conversations and make it affordable for people, it's only 50 bucks to apply to host Kentucky Reads, and you get 15 copies of the book, 15 copies of the discussion guide, which is nicely printed, almost like a magazine. It has an interview with Wiley Cash in it and, and discussion questions, of course. And then Kentucky Humanities basically covers the cost of a scholar to come and speak to your group. Of course, right now these are virtual, but there are five or six scholars that are humanities professors. They have master's or PhDs in their fields. And I believe many, if not all of them, have written their own books. Dr. Damaris Hill is one of the scholars and she works at at University of Kentucky as well. So you're not having to pull ideas out of a hat and feel like, like, I don't know how to lead a discussion with my book club about this book, you know? And so we invite a scholar in to help lead the discussion. You're not going to get lectured to, but it's it's good to have a jumping off point. And it started in 2018 with Robert Penn Warren's All the King's Men, 
which is like an 800 page book. <laughs> so it was kind of, kind of a lot. <laughs> but that year, I wasn't at Kentucky Humanities at the time, but I actually went to one of the Kentucky Reads events that they hosted in Bowling Green. They did five events and it coincided with, they just decided to go big the first year. So they were talking about contemporary populism and journalism and political discourse. And, oh, it had to do with a program called Democracy and the Informed Citizen. So they talked about Robert Penn Warren. They went to five different cities across Kentucky and kind of wore themselves out the first year. And then the book festival hit. So they, t- they didn't have time to pick a book for 2019. So they took that year off. But now we've kind of scaled it back a bit and we're doing it every year. And so 2020, which we had to do virtually, we read Wendell Berry's book, Hannah Coulter, which made me cry, but that's okay. And it coincided with the Smithsonian exhibit, Crossroads, Change in Rural America. And the book couldn't have fit any better into that theme. It's a really, really great book. I had only ever read Wendell Berry's nonfiction. And so when I read Hannah Coulter, I was like, gosh, wow. It again, kind of makes you understand how America went from an agrarian to like a technological society and how it's difficult still for some to wrap their heads around it. And in some ways, it's it's a negative thing. And in some ways, it's a positive thing. So Wendell Berry writes that from Hannah Coulter's perspective, and it's a beautiful book. And then 2021, we have chosen Birds of Opulence. Crystal Wilkinson wrote it. It has to do, again, with family relationships, dealing with mental illness and the stigmas and taboos dealing with that. It talks about what's passed on through generations, what's passed on that you want to keep and what's passed on that you just to deal with and and cope with and try to understand motherhood and family. And so it's told from the perspective of a few different characters and a lot of strong female characters in that book. And it kind of ties into the poetry book I was talking about earlier, Perfect Black. She talks about her mother and some other themes that come up in the Birds of Opulence as well. And Ron Davis did the cover of Birds of Opulence too. That's her husband. People can still apply to host Kentucky Reads Discussion. It's really ideal if you have at least, you know, 15 people. And you can do that at kyhumanities.org. It's it's really a quick process. And so you have until, I think, December 2021 to host it. It might even be longer than that. But once you sign up to host a virtual program for Kentucky Reads, that's supposed to be for your group. But we will also have a public virtual event in June with Crystal... So another program that's associated with the Kentucky Book Festival that's coming up, or you're in the middle of it right now, is the School Days program, which is happening March through May. And that involves a virtual Mm -hmm. author that visits, I think, schools, first and second graders. So how do those work and what authors are involved? Yeah. So School Days is, it's a really cool program. It was born out of a need to reach school children that might have come to the book festival in the past. And I suppose when it was in Frankfurt, schools used to be invited to bus groups of students to the event to attend. But, you know, it's difficult because 
kids don't have cash and often their parents don't send them on a field trip with a a $20 bill in their pocket for books. It's like, this is for your lunch, you know? And so kids would come to the event, they'd have a good time, they'd meet authors, but some of them wouldn't walk away with a book. And so we try to figure out how to revamp that. And the best way was for us to bring the author to the schools and through funding, through the generosity of the Elsa Heisel Sewell Foundation and Cosair Charities and uh, one of our previous board members, Tom Appleton, we're able to cover the cost of the author visit. And typically these are in person, which is so much more exciting, as I'm sure you can imagine. First and second graders ask fantastic questions. And so typically the author goes to the school and they get the kids excited about reading. They tell them, this is a job. I'm an author. This is something you can actually do. Or if they're an illustrator, it's the same thing. And the kids, you can watch it click in their minds like, oh, wow, this is a thing. Like I could turn my love of drawing into an actual career. So doing it virtually is still great. We work with authors like Amanda Driscoll, who lives in Louisville. And Amanda will talk about her book, Duncan, the Story Dragon, which is about a little dragon who loves to read, but he gets so excited before he reaches the end of a book that he basically like breathes fire on it. And he always, (laughs) yeah, so he destroys the book before he can finish it. And so he has to find a friend that will read to him. And everyone's afraid of him because he's a dragon. But he finds a little mouse friend who reads to him. And then he finally reaches the end of a book. (laughs) And Amanda will draw with the kids. She's real skilled. She has like a whiteboard behind her. And she'll say, we're going to draw some eyes. And we're going to draw a nose. And you can watch all the kids scribble on their tablets and um, hold up their pictures at the end. So Amanda's one of the authors that's doing virtual visits uh, right now. And then Jessica Young is another author that's doing those. She lives in Nashville. Jessica writes a series of books called Haggis and Tank. Oh, I love yes. those. those. Yeah, are she writes those. And so for her school visits this time around, we're focusing on book two. I think it's called Digging for Dinos. And so the, the two dog friends go and have adventures and learn along the way. And it's, it's kind of like a comic book, right? Sort of like a, almost like a graphic novel. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, full of illustrations, but who, who could not love a book where one of the characters is named Haggis? I, I mean, that's just yeah. awesome. And Jessica's got a great personality. She's really fun and upbeat and writes beautiful kids books. And then Sean Pryor lives in Lexington and Sean got started writing graphic novels and comics and was really interested in graphic novels and comics specifically when he started. So he's co-authored books for young adults. And then he's gotten into writing these like sports themed books for kids. So they're action packed. There's always a lesson to be learned and they're fun and easy to read. And then he's also got a book for, I would say middle to high school, which We're not funding right now, but it's worth mentioning called uh, Nat Turner's Rebellion. And so it's a graphic novel version of the historical event and retells the historical event of Nat Turner's Rebellion in so many words. Sean is a really wonderful, creative guy. He loves the Power Rangers (laughs) and um, always like works superheroes into his talks and stuff like that. So he's great. And in the fall, if we are able to, we hope to send authors back out on the road because each kid that 
is involved or visited by an author for school days, they actually get a book to take home. And typically it's signed in person by the author. And that gives the kid one-on-one time with the author, which some of them never gotten. So hopefully we can go back to in-person in the fall. It's so, so fun to go and watch the kids actually meet an author. And it's usually rural schools visited a few and you're out in the middle of nowhere. Every single kid says thank you when they get their book and go through the line. And it's just really cool to watch the, the authors and the students bond. So if there are some elementary school teachers listening out there, they can apply to have an author come visit their classroom and they just go to the Kentucky Humanities site? Yeah, you can find it through Kentucky Humanities. The Book Festival has its own website now too, and it's just kybookfestival.org. And so you can find the, the school day's application on that website. And we still have virtual visits that are available. We have five or six available still. Again, we either ship the books to the schools or in 2020, we actually loaded up a van and I delivered them. I was like Santa just all across Kentucky, but we make sure that every kid gets a book. That's you awesome. didn't say that as part of your Job duties. Shipping. You said director of book festival. You didn't say anything about deliver of books I'm to children. Book, book Santa. <laughs> Believe me, if I could just give books to people all the time, well, they wouldn't have hired me. They want me to sell the books, right? Um, but I'm always like, yes, more free books. Those programs all sound amazing. And I think that Kentucky Humanities just does a lot more than what I thought, I, you know, I thought it was focused mainly around the book festival, but I love it that you all do things all year long that are tied into the book festival and you can experience the book festival all year long. So with that being said, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. So we are back with Sarah Woods and with Carrie. And Carrie, I want to know what you're reading. I finished uh, an audiobook a little while ago called The Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. I don't know why this book was on my list. I mean, I don't, I, I don't mean like I didn't like it. I did like it very much. But I have books on my TBR list and I don't know where I heard about them or where they came from. This book was really good. It was super interesting. It is about a girl named Alex Stern, and she can see dead people, which I know sounds like that Bruce Willis movie, but she ends up at Yale University. Now, I did not realize this, but apparently Yale has secret societies. Like, this is part of Yale culture. Now, I don't know what these societies do like in normal life but in this book they do things like travel through time and raise the dead and have all these weird and maybe not savory activities that they do which considering how many former presidents and politicians actually graduate from Yale and are in these secret societies that sounds way more interesting I think that uh, former President George W. Bush was in one of those societies. Yes, yes. I I think Skull and Bones was the one he was in. Anyway, so this story is about how Alex and another character named Darlington are in the secret society that polices all the other secret societies to make sure that they're not breaking any really important rules about how these societies are supposed to behave. 
And as you can imagine, maybe some of them aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing or and are engaging in things that are taboo. So the story was fantastical and something happens to Darlington's. I won't say what happens to him, but I will say that now I have to read the second book, which I'm like, great, you know, but it was super interesting. If you like fantasy and you like the idea of, you know, the people who I put in air quotes, who are supposed to act a certain way, they're not as good as they seem to be. If you like that dynamic in a book, I I would recommend it. Like I said, I don't know that I knew anything about it, but I listened to it and I was like, sold. And now I'll listen to the next one. You would recommend the audiobook version then? You you liked it? Yeah, I thought it was good. The narration was a female narrator, Alex Stern. And then, so chapters would go back and forth. And then there would be a male narrator reading Darlington's. So it's from their perspective, right? So one chapter is from Alex's perspective. Another is from Darlington's. But then something happens to Darlington. And I can't say what. So, and mostly that's because I'm not entirely sure what happened to him because it is a fantasy (laughs) book. So (laughs) anyway, it was good. I recommend it. Sarah, what have you been reading? Let's see. Like I said, I put myself on a pretty strict schedule of trying to read as much as possible. So I read David Bell's Kill All Your Darlings, which I um, highly recommend. You can't read it yet, everyone. Sorry. Um, Not until July. (laughs) But um, I love that title. Yes. Kill All Your Darlings. It's it's a great kind of English major book, (laughs) but I think anyone could appreciate it. I've read very widely since the year started. The Fountainhead, I finally read that. And it was long. I almost bought Atlas Shrugged at Joseph (laughs) Beth the other night. And then I was like, oh gosh, another thousand page commitment. I don't know if I could do that. You're not going to get through your couple books a month if you're reading thousand page books. (laughs) I'll have to like take sick days from work to finish reading. I'm just kidding. A few books that I think people would enjoy that y'all have maybe even talked about before, The, the 10,000 Doors of January by Alex Harrow. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Loved it. So Have much. you read her new one? No. Have you? Is it good? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. The uh, Once and Future Witches. Yes. I just read it like a week and a half ago. Okay. I'll have to look. It, there was so much going on in The 10,000 Doors of January, and it was like, how is she going to tie this all together? And then she did, you know, and so it's just really impressive. And then going back to your Secret Societies book, it brought to mind a book that I read, but it's really weird, called Bunny by Mona Awad. And it is kind of making fun of the like MFA lifestyle, but it's almost a cross between the book you were describing and like Donna Tartt's The Secret History. There's some weird voodoo stuff that goes on and people get killed and there's bunnies and I it it was one of the weirdest books I've <laughs> ever read but I couldn't look away Mona Awad knows something that we don't I'm telling you huh. and another wild card book written by a Kentuckian that came out a couple years ago is called The Vine That Ate the South by J.D. Wilkes and it is also very weird there's magic kudzu And uh, it's a wild romp through the hollers of Kentucky. And J.D. Wilkes actually illustrated it too. He's a musician out of Paducah and he's a wild man. He plays banjo and sings and, and wrote this book. And I was like, okay, 
all right, why don't you just show us all up, JD? It was a wild ride. So I'll, I'll leave y'all with that. <laughs> I've been frantically typing them in on Goodreads as you're listing them. Well, Amy, what have you had going on over there? Well, I have been taking a tip from you, Carrie, because several weeks ago you talked about comedian memoirs that you had listened to and you inspired me to listen to one. So I was looking at the new Audi Award nominee list for 2021. And one of the finalists for humor is a book called A Very Punchable Face by Colin Jost. And Colin Jost is one of the head writers at Saturday Night Live. And he does the weekend update segment with another comedian named Michael Che. And he has been at SNL for over 15 years. And I think that that's the longest any person besides Lauren Michaels, who's the executive producer, has been at SNL, whether it be a writer or a comedian. So I watch SNL, and so I was familiar with Colin Jost. I have to admit, he wasn't the first person that I thought, man, I really want to read a book that, you know, about his life. But I like him. I, I'm an early-to-bed person, so I'll admit I don't watch SNL live, you know, on Saturday night. But my husband and I watch parts of it every Sunday morning with our coffee. So he narrates the book himself. And if you have seen him on SNL, his cadence when he's narrating it is much like his delivery when he's performing on TV. So each chapter in a way feels like a little comedic monologue, although it's also conversational. And some of the chapters are quite long. So it's not like some other comedy books, like Jerry Seinfeld had one out this year, but those are like little snippets of observations. And this isn't really that. This is a memoir about his life. It's just that each chapter is sort of a, a monologue about a different topic. Uh, and each chapter is actually prefaced by a quote from literature. And he's a big reader. Colin Jost is a big reader. And in fact, he attended Harvard and he majored in Russian literature. And he traveled to Russia as a college student with the sole purpose of translating a Russian short story. I think it was by Chekhov. I can't remember who the author was. It was a, a short story that had never been translated to, into English before. And so this was supposed to be like his senior project. Uh, unfortunately, he became too homesick and he had to come home before he ever completed, or actually, I think before he even started the actual uh, translation. But this guys he's cerebral, which is something that I, that I really loved about him. This is a very self-deprecating book, hence the title, A Very Punchable Face. He fully recognizes and embraces his faults. He's a total nerd at heart. He's quite accident prone. And he has a lot of really funny stories. I laughed out loud quite a few times. And I thoroughly enjoyed listening to this while I walked my dogs, made dinner, and folded laundry. And if you've read other memoirs by SNL alumni like Tina Fey or Amy Poehler, some of his experiences about working there touch on similar themes as those books. But obviously, his life experiences are different. And therefore, it isn't like a rehash of those other memoirs. One of the most touching chapters of this book, though, was about his mother, who was a family physician, and she was the chief medical officer for the New York City Fire Department, I think for over 20 years until she retired a few years ago. And he talks about how involved she became during September 11th and helping the injured firefighters at the site and that how she's really his hero in so many ways. And that was a really, I don't know, it was just a really touching chapter. So I would recommend this book. Before I listened to this, I looked it up on Goodreads and I saw that two other authors that I follow, including humorist Andrew Schaefer, who we've interviewed on the show, gave it five stars. So I knew that it was going to be funny. It isn't great literature in any way, but it's fun and it's light 
and a great listen to brighten your day. So I would highly recommend it. I read, what was Tina Fey's book called? Fossy Pants. And I enjoyed that, but I read that. There's something about whoever wrote the book reading it themselves, because I know I'm still listening to the Lenny Kravitz Let Love Rule book, and it's so much more interesting. I'm getting more out of it, I think, because he's narrating it than I would Mm -hmm. if I was reading it. And I feel like, not that I didn't like the Tina Fey book, but I read that as opposed to listening to her tell it i don't know if it's the cadence or the fact that they have the experience but it's probably just so much funnier hearing them tell it well i would say that about the amy polar book too uh it's called yes please i think is the name of it and i read that instead of listening to it and i thought i liked it okay i didn't love it but i had so many people tell me oh you have to listen to it If you listen to it, you will love it. Mm -hmm. And I haven't done that yet, but maybe I should because I do like Amy Poehler a lot. And so I agree with you. I really like it when authors, especially humorists, read their own writing. Mm -hmm. You know, David Sedaris is a perfect example of that, too. Well, and all these comedians have now taken me, I'm like on Netflix and I'm gone through all these different, I watched a Jim Gaffigan stand-up special. I watched Seth Meyers. We watched Dave Chappelle. I mean, you know, it's like, that's all I'm watching at this point because I've sort of (laughs) definitely gone down this rabbit hole. I started with two audio books and now we're just yucking it up over here. Um, (laughs) We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to ask... Sarah Woods, her top five. We are back with Sarah Woods, and we're going to ask her her top five. Question number one. You recently bought new bikes, and you and your husband enjoy bike riding, but not just in your neighborhood. What is one of your favorite bike trails to visit, and why? Well, it is in... Ohio. It's called the Loveland, Ohio Trail, and it is right next to the river. And the best thing about it, if you go and actually park in Loveland, Ohio, the trail kind of goes straight through the downtown. It's really quaint. And there's an ice cream shop and a restaurant. And so you can bike for a couple miles and then you get ice cream and then it's perfect. It's literally, (laughs) that's my kind of biking. There's a big park and the trail was an old railroad line. And so they paved over it and you can, I think it's like 50 miles or something. There's breweries. They're really building up around it and it's really, really fun. A lot of it's shaded as well. So if you go in the summer, you won't be miserable as far as the heat is concerned. Except for the fact that I would be riding a bike. But if I can stop for beer, that beer would be okay. And ice cream, just one in each hand. You could eat just skateboard with a beer and an ice, you know, um, and you're good to go. We love it. And it's free. Question number two. I, th- I think so many people have seen The Queen's Gambit on Netflix now, and it's really increased the popularity of chess this year. So you have an interest in chess. How did the interest begin? And what's the top most difficult thing about the game for you? Well, it partly began from The Queen's Gambit because I watched one episode of the show. I did not know that it was based on a book by Walter Tevis, of all people, from Kentucky. I watched the first episode and it's like they said something about Fayette County. And I said, oh, okay, wow. You know, what is this? Anyway, I watched the whole show knowing nothing about chess and I still enjoyed it. So there's that. But 
when it came out, I think my husband, I'd asked him what he wanted for Christmas. And he said uh, a chess set. So I texted my mom and she ordered him one and she got the chess set before everyone watched the Queen's Gambit and then chess sets sold out across the country. <laughs> so he got one for Christmas and he knew how to play chess. So he had to teach me. And I think I've maybe beat him twice. Believe me, I took very loud, obnoxious victory laps when I beat him. But <laughs> my, my problem is not planning enough ahead. So like if he takes one of my pieces, I'm like, well, I'm going to take one of your pieces. And that's not really the best way to play. So I play revenge chess and you have to, to play planning <laughs> chess. It's definitely teaching me patience and trying to learn the strategy part of it. So we played every night for probably a month. And I still, you know, I only beat him twice. So that tells you something right there. I've got a lot of learning left to do. <laughs> I, I got online and was like looking up strategies, you know, secretly. I'm like, I'm not looking up chess strategies over here, you know, while he's eating breakfast. Two important things. One is moving first, obviously always helps. But controlling the middle of the board is what you want to do first. If you can control more of the middle of the board sooner than your opponent, then you have a, a little bit better chance. And there's a, I can't remember what website it is, but it had three of the most commonly used chess strategies. And I used one of them. And that's one of the games that I won. And all it was, was me moving two pieces in a certain way at the beginning of the game. And then everything else kind of fell into place. So you can look up strategies on the sly and impress whoever you're going to play. <laughs> Sometimes book lovers are kind of particular about their bookmarks and you make bookmarks as a hobby. So tell us a little bit about the bookmarks you make and then what is your top bookmark that you use and why is it your favorite? Well, I used to, like many people, just grab a piece of paper and tear off a corner of the top and just shove that in a book or receipts. My husband uses playing cards. That's his go-to post-it notes, anything. And so I didn't like my books all having a weird slip of paper as their bookmark. So I had a bunch of blank greeting cards that I was drawing on. And so I cut them up into like bookmark sized pieces of paper. And I was drawing on those when the pandemic started because, you know, what else was there to do? So I graduated from those once I went to the craft store and realized they have packs of 50 blank bookmarks. You know, it's a standard size. And so I bought some of those and started drawing on them. So it is geometric patterns. And then I'll do stuff on the back. And then I have bought a laminator. So I laminate them. So it's just whatever I'm obsessed with drawing at the time. Mostly it's flowers. Are those Zentangle? designs? Kind of. Do you know what I'm talking about? I I do, yeah. I've always liked to draw henna style designs, henna and Mindy. And so it's fun that that's kind of common. A lot of people are drawn to those shapes. And that's kind of where the Zentangle stuff co comes from. But playing with symmetry and floral patterns and... And you just sit down and draw that? Yeah. It's a stress, oh it's a stress reliever. You know, give them out for gifts and... I'm never short on bookmarks, <laughs> so. Those are awesome. And I, I'll keep drawing them <laughs> as long as Michaels makes blank bookmarks. <laughs> I cannot use metal ones. You know how sometimes you get metal bookmarks mm -hmm. and they look really pretty, 
but they fall out of the books too easily. They do, or they're too so. thick, and then the, it'll change the shape of the pages in the book. Okay, question number four. So most people enjoy a good coffee shop, even if they aren't really a coffee drinker, but you really like exploring new ones. So what's one of the top coffee shops you visited and what makes it special? So it's not that I need to go to coffee shops because I make coffee at home every day. I'm currently drinking my way through a five pound bag of Sunnergoss beans. So that's my morning brew. And then if I go to a coffee shop, I typically get a Cortado because it's milk and espresso. So it's kind of more like a treat. I like chocolate on with my coffee, not in my coffee. And so there's a coffee shop named Brevede that just opened in the distillery district here in Lexington. And it's in a really cool old building. It's really roomy and spacious and has massive windows and plants. And it's always packed because it's just such a wonderful atmosphere. So I go there a lot. And down the street from there, there's another coffee shop called uh, Manchester Coffee. And it's almost like a smaller version of Brevetti. <laughs> Again, plants, a lot of light. They have excellent coffee. So I like the local coffee shops. You know, I'll go to Starbucks if I'm in a pinch. But I've visited not all the ones in Lexington because it seems like a new one opens every week. But I, I have plans too. One of the most memorable ones for me is, is not in Kentucky at all, but it's in Fayetteville, West Virginia, which is where the new National Park, New River Gorge is. It's, it was just declared a, a new national park, but they have converted an old church into a coffee shop. So you have the stained glass windows and then they have bookshelves uh, on either side of the stained glass windows with books that you can either read or you can buy. They're just used books. I love when you reuse buildings and it's just a really cool mm -hmm. reuse of that. It's, it's got a lot of personality. All right. Your last question. We've talked a lot today about the Kentucky Book Festival, but there are so many festivals, especially in the summer and fall, that are a lot of fun. So besides book festivals, what is your favorite kind of festival you've attended? There are a few art fairs here in Lexington. The, the Woodland Art Fair is really cool in August. Well, it's, it's really hot, actually, but it's a very nice <laughs> event. And they have vendors from all over the the U.S. that come in and sell handmade art. I mean, it's amazing stuff. And then my hometown of Somerset hosts a music festival every summer called Master Musicians Festival. And I guess they canceled in 2020, but they're going to try to do it in person in 2021. They're selling just a limited number of tickets. It's a bluegrass festival. So it's usually bands from you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, and, and elsewhere. And I don't listen to bluegrass music on my own, but going to a bluegrass show, the energy's great. Everyone's so nice. And it's good live music. It really is. So Master Musicians is really fun. I'm proud of Somerset for keeping it up. Well, Sarah, it has been great having you on the show and for you to tell us all about Kentucky Humanities and the Kentucky Book Festival. And we appreciate you taking time out of your afternoon to speak well, with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've had a blast. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. 
Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.